Okay, so we're using slang now. You're serious, uh, dude? Yeah, I'm hip. Yeah, dude. man. Yeah, I man. Use, whatever, man. I use, I use, dude. I use cool, hip lingo, dude. I watched Happy Days when I was younger. Well, not only that. I mean, I totally at this point in my life, I totally understand you because I just had some edibles, and I totally understand what yeah man means. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm that's, that's the, it. Before edibles, I, you were like, I am what part of the marijuana. John, I am part of the marijuana revolution, whether you want me there or not. <laughs> I will be the face of the marijuana revolution. That dude, big win. Can you be? That would be great. <laughs> I want to share any knowledge with people, but I will. Let's start. Let's do it. You want to do a show? Who, yeah, let's do a show. Who is the face of the marijuana revolution? Uh, well, I mean, guys like you. I mean, let's be honest, guys. Like, they spend a lot of time at fish concert, dead concerts. Dude, uh, can, I, can I be honest? Saying it's okay, it's not going to hurt you. Um, <laughs> Anyway, welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. And um, back to uh, the pot revolution. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, this quarantine, if it's done anything, it's, <laughs> my wife is so annoyed. It's gotten me back into the band Fish. <laughs> I don't like, know if that's a win or not. I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know like I, in that. I love, I love them. And then I was like, I kind of fell out. I was like, yeah, maybe I'm just too old. It's not for me. I, I'm a dead and company guy. I like my, my music that 55 year old dudes can dance to. And then I, the, with this quarantine, I've been like, I bought a treadmill. So I've been like, wow, what do I want to listen to on a treadmill? Upbeat. Da, da, da. And then I'm like, Ooh, fish. And then this re-listen app has every goddamn fish show from 1988 on. And you're like, uh, okay, just anything to pick from. So I've started to get listen to the music, the songs that I didn't know after 2000. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the most important thing you said during that whole uh, monologue about music is mm-hmm. no one should ever position music as music that a 55-year-old man can dance to. That's never going to be a personal. <laughs> dude. Ever. Other than the chicken dance at a fucking wedding, dude, and that's never going to be enough. And even that's not an upsell. That's not an upsell either. So here's the deal. You can hurt yourself dancing. When I was. Uh, okay, that's the second thing that's really. Dude, you I really look. have. You've gone. You've gone to the other side when you, when these are the types of things are like, everybody calm down for just a second. I want to just let you know, just be careful because you can hurt yourself dancing. And all right, back to fun, back to fun. Listen to me, listen to me. When I, I did a commercial where I played humidity. I don't know if you remember that. It was the Lennox heating and air ad. It was one of the first ads I ever did. All right, I'm listening, but this is going all over the fucking place. Yeah, it was was 2006 probably. Um, And they wanted to do the commercial and then they wanted to shoot some behind the scenes stuff, like talking to the actors as their characters um, in this thing. And then there was going to be a little dance circle, right? So we do this dance circle and the cameras start rolling and somebody goes in and does a little little break dancing move. And then, you know how it's like people say things are like riding a bike. You just, it's muscle memory. You can, you can repeat the thing. I, uh, something in me clicked and I was like, okay, I took break dancing classes when I was in third grade. Okay. Sounds that like will, it was your ankle that clicked. That will come in handy right now. And I threw everything I had into the worm, but from a standing position. So I jumped up. And then I came down sort of in a push-up position. And as I as I sort of curled, my feet almost touched the back of my head. And my lower back was like, what are you doing? And then my body just kind of like. I was waiting like, for you that part of the story to be like, and then there was blood everywhere. Because you dude, landed on my feet. And you know, <laughs> you know like I wounds, as I learned falling down the stairs, head wounds lead a lot. Well, dude, that was, yours was tragic. Mine was kind of comical. Well, I mean, I guess in some ways you could consider mine to also be comical uh, if you want to get into it. 
Well, it depends on what I mean, you the fact that I was trying to save a cat that didn't want to be saved and also ripped my skull from the front right. to get away from me and also came back to just bear witness to my potential death with no concern whatsoever, even though I cared about him, that in itself could be seen as comical because I survived. Yes, you're right. The, the, the kind of the dark life comedy right there of like yeah. you being like, I want to help this cat, this cat going, I'd rather die than you ever touch me again. <laughs> Exactly. And then trying to kill both of you. Yeah, yeah. Former former Hollywood Anonymous producer, Boo the Cat. By the way, uh, before we bring in our guest, and we should do that, I just want to let you know I, I wanted to get something to eat because I hadn't had a chance. And so I grabbed a banana, and I didn't realize when I grabbed it, it literally is a foot long. It is the world's largest banana. It may take me literally this show and then some to finish this this thing. I had no idea. Dude, I, work. I like bananas, but a foot long banana. Is it at least, a at least a, like I know bananas can't be crisp, but is it at least like not fucking just pudding? Like yeah, no, no, I don't like that. That's disturbing. That's very disgusting. All right, let's bring in our guest. Okay, uh, man. Otherwise, everyone's everyone's gonna be yeah. throwing up on the show. <laughs> no, I'm I don't I'm not eating a mucus banana, which makes you gag when it's in your throat. All bananas. I gotta I. Nicole has to put them in the shake. When I do the smoothies in the morning, she has to peel them. I can't peel a banana. It makes me sick. No, she's getting her potassium. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, our guest, who doesn't want to talk bananas or how hungry you are, uh, <laughs> writer, comedian. I would probably say producer because I'm not 100% sure how high in the rank. Yeah. Nope. This writer, writer, <laughs> comedian. And one of my favorite followers on Twitter, Raj Desai is here. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm not going to discuss bananas, but I will tell you. And John, you, I think you were actually, yep, you were. You and I did a show in Madison, Wisconsin, and I remember after one of the shows, and I don't know how it came up. We were sitting at the bar having a pretty good conversation with some people after the show. There were some great, you know, people that came to the, the show, and I remember at one point. Um, I think I had maybe discussed on stage about the whole thing that Russian girls dip their um, tampons in vodka, and that's how they, you know, teenage girls are drinking. Instead of being drinking illegal and you can't smell it on your breath, they would literally put it right in there because it goes right into the blood system and all that kind of stuff because sure. the wall inside the vagina is very thin, so it immediately soaks it into the blood. Thank you, Dr. Irwin. Anytime I can help. <laughs> I'll have my COVID response in just a second. But no, the um, but then that woman was like, well, you know, if you want to kill somebody and get away with it, all you have to do is inject them with a lot of potassium up their butthole and they will die. I'm like, all right, good talk. We got to, I think I turned to you. I was like, John, we need to get going. Like, I was like, who turns it into, here's how you get away with murder. <laughs> Who's injecting potassium up people's butthole? Uh, yes. <laughs> and what I mean, you'd have to that? sedate them first. <laughs> no no one's going to be like, yeah, what are you doing back there, man? And just yeah, let it happen. They, they cut out a lot of the storyline there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but that's also to me, someone says that. That's like when you're 15 and someone's like, dude, we can't we can't get any weed. What are we gonna do? Dude, if you put toothpaste on a banana peel, dry it in a microwave and smoke it, you'll get ripped. <laughs> no, you won't. I do by the way, I love the fact that Raj listened to that story and he was like, Well, first you, there there are others like you actually took it. We're like, well, let's look at this for a second. I think <laughs> yeah, you can think about it. You yeah. actually there are other things that would have to start first. In my mind, what I would do would be like, No, no, Raj, that we weren't talking about how to commit murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, someday in case it comes in handy. Seems uh, plausible. What'd you say, Brian? 
It's, it's, he, Raj's approach was, well, it seems plausible, but there are a few shortcomings uh, to her theory. Yeah. If you're going to kill somebody, don't do it with potassium. <laughs> the more you know, a shooting star goes over my head. The what? A shooting star goes over my head. Oh, the, the more, more you know. know. The more you know. Uh, Raj, <laughs> you're super funny on Twitter. Um, Thanks, and, man. And some of that stuff is so, like... I don't know. I think I picture you saying it like, cause you, I don't know. It's complicated. Cause I feel like it's like Mitch Hedbergy. Like if anyone else tried to do what you were doing, I would be like, dude, what are you doing? And if I tried to tell, if I tried to do that, I'd be like, no, well, oh, this is shitty. I, I'll works. take it as a compliment. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's unique in, to you, meaning when you're like, I can't, I can't think, but you'll take a basic concept that everyone's like, you're when you're like, Hey, Maybe I'm speaking out of line here, but I don't think the president's doing a good job. Like shit like yeah, that. Yeah. And yeah. other people, I'm like, that's enough out of you. And then with you, I'm like, ah, 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 ah. I, don't, I don't know why. I, I feel like I picture I you know. acting in this, like, hey, has anyone really, has anyone said this? Well, I think if a lot of people read my Twitter feed, they would think I was being serious. I complain about things like, the difficulty of assembling Ikea furniture, things that people have already complained about for like 20 years. And I, I think if someone didn't know me, they would think I was a moron or, <laughs> or a teenager. I, I, some of the stuff I complain about is like stuff teenagers would complain about. So, and, and they're not even sincere complaints. So I, I don't know what I'm doing with it. I know, I feel like comedians who know me like it. So I just keep doing it. Now. It's you very, ridiculous yeah when, when you um when you do stuff that may touch on like what john was talking about i don't know if you have if you've touched on any political stuff do you do you like to engage like i just recently decided I, i'm i'm over i have a, I, a lot of people in my life have gone so far off the deep end that they're the, the anti-anti so it doesn't matter what you say they're just looking for a fight i'm exhausted with that yeah. and i i think the key is for me was finally like just to clean it up. Like I'm not interested because you don't, there's no debate. There's no discussion. It's just F you or you're an idiot or I'm smart. I know everything, you know, nothing. So when you do that kind of stuff, like where, where, where do you stand in that world of social media with people that are going to come at you? I mean, to be honest, like I mostly, I'm basically and barely on Facebook. I'm not an Instagram user, so Twitter is my main source, which is pretty, you know, not the world's greatest website, you know, uh, <laughs> or platform or whatever you want to call it. So I, I tend to keep it pretty much jokes and light. And if something serious is happening, like, you know, uh, in the world right now, I tend to just keep it sincere, you know, and, and basic. Like I would tweet out a sincere statement of support for, you know, whatever it might be. But there's always going to be an anti to that. Do you not get uh, people that still challenge or do you just ignore them? I, I've gotten some and I, I tend to just ignore them. Okay. But I, I don't, I wouldn't say I, I tend to, for whatever reason, like I tend to more like retweet someone else's thoughts on a subject that I agree with, like okay. an op-ed or something like that, which I feel like in some ways is, uh, you're not, you're, it's not your, thoughts maybe people feel less inclined to like kind of come at that or something yeah, and probably sure. to be honest most of the people that follow me are people who know me and right probably agree with me with my worldview so it's, it's 
Did you ever get caught up in the? I know you said, were you ever uh, a a heavy Facebook user? Did you get caught up in the original MySpace transition to Facebook, where it was all about collecting as many strange friends as possible (laughs) because it made you feel good about yourself, and then you have regret later because you realized you've invited a lot of people you don't want (laughs) to. Now you're like, how do I get rid of this? I mean, I've definitely like transferred from i was definitely there for myspace that's for sure and that and i was with somebody who was like ah facebook will never catch on i'm not gonna do it and then i thought it was for kids yeah i was was like oh facebook is for college kids i'm an adult i'm on yeah and myspace i mean you guys are both comedians so it had that handy thing you could list your shows on i was like well i don't want to get rid of that thing yeah (laughs) Yeah. even though like nobody cared nobody cared Uh, no one looked at it but you could at the beginning of a month you could put your list of yes. shows together, post it on MySpace, yeah. and in your head be like, I have a full schedule. Yes, it, it was, was like exciting or something. I, I don't know why. And yeah, and but... no one looked at it. No one was like, what? I'm going to MySpace to find out where Raj Desai is going to be tonight. Nobody yeah. did. People yeah. knew yeah. you were on the shows with you. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, I'm posting to people who are following me and then also performing with me that night. So they're yeah, like, yeah, I basically. know you're on the show. <laughs> yeah, and but I, it was a, a somehow a, a thrilling uh, part of that that yes. website that was good for bands and performers and comedians, yeah. and, yeah. and so the transition to Facebook was pretty annoying. And I definitely have I don't know I couldn't tell you who so many followers of mine are. There's probably some that are like bots or whatever, but I don't even know. I mean, I have family and comedian friends and, and other friends, and then probably the overwhelming majority is people I don't know and I don't know why I'm friends. <laughs> no Do you idea. think? Yeah. Um, is there anything to how how long did you write for the Tonight Show? Uh, I did half a year, six months. Half a year. Yeah. Is there is there anything to that when you're a writer on something like that and you post and if your name is like, you know, one of the I mean I know those credits fly by like an SNL like you can't read that shit unless you pause it. But yeah, if they call your name. Do you think that equates to more followers at all, or is that just shooting? I into the- think that I will say. You know that that show has has a, a very loyal fan base towards you know Jimmy Fallon basically, and yeah. I did pick up followers that were guys in the business. We call them foul pals. <laughs> That's what the Jimmy Fallon fan is. I did pick up some foul pal followers. Is this uh, the part where you show me your foul pal shirt? Do you have a foul pal shirt? Or I, here's I my don't. ID. Here's I my don't. Badge. My foul my uh, foul pal badge. <laughs> I, I don't think it was quite. To be fair to. Jimmy or the show, they did not right. coin the term. It's like no, an no, organic no, no. Right. term that right. came up. And it happens to rhyme with the first syllable of his name. Pal yeah, yeah that's, why, that's why it sounds so funny. But yeah, it's very uh, silly and it's a big, I, I don't know about big, but it's a contingency on social media that, that does look at credits and follow people for sure. So I did pick up some followers. Now. Well, yeah. you know, and going back to the social media thing for a second, John, you missed the first part of it. So, um, uh, I just want to, I'm trying to figure out for myself personally, like I, I was making the joke about, you know, the transition from MySpace and the collection of friends and how we were convinced as performers, how important it was to stockpile all these people because it was so important. And then the world changed so drastically that it starts to have a way between that and the algorithms of potentially affecting how you see the world and who you're communicating with. And then you start questioning, why am I communicating with this person that I don't know? Why do I care about their opinion? I never would have if if social media didn't exist. And so we're kind of getting into this point now, especially where we are in the world, like you kind of referred to before, Raj. And for those who don't know, I mean, we're broadcasting us in a time where there are 
protests and riots and, you know, lockdowns and COVID and, you know, you name it, it's happening all at once. And that, for me, it, I started questioning its purpose, its goal. Like, what is the point here? Like, I don't need to collect strangers anymore. And I don't need a pulpit either because I am not a preacher and I am not a self-righteous, um, you know, socializer either. So I'm just curious how you guys, how you guys do well, what your social media world is now and where you want it to be as you move forward. I mean, I see, I get, I get what you're like. The reason I think as comedians, we stockpiled friends on like MySpace and Facebook is because every meeting, once social media took hold, every fucking meeting I ever had, there was a question of how many followers were involved. And when you don't like, it, it was a mind numbing concept because I'm like, what about this idea? What about this thing? What about this is funny? This is comedy. Yeah, but how many people follow you on social media? It, I failed to see the importance. And then it was like, okay, I guess we got to amass all these people. And then you're right. Now I've got like, every time I try to post somewhere, I'm like, hey, man, here's the thing. You can go donate. I get some dickhead with some joke. And you're like, this is not, I don't need this. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't need this. I, I, I can't deal with it. It's hard. It's hard. Sorry, Raj, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I, I mean, I think the reason why followers are important is just because of what John said. It, it became a currency in the business to have followers. Uh, sometimes it was, you know, someone was blowing people away with their post and they got a ton of followers, you know. And uh, like, I don't, you guys probably both know Kyle Dunning. So he, yeah. he has a big Instagram following because he posts really funny stuff. And it's mm-hmm. a bunch of strangers who just want to watch what he's doing. So that I, I, you know, he's someone I know a little, and I just noticed that. So that that happens, and then sometimes, you know, and I do think it helped him get attention from the business. I mean, he told me as much. I mean, Dunnigan's been around, but but how long has he been around? Forever, right? I mean, twenty-five years, probably. Yeah, and now, and now, he's getting attention from the business. Yeah, I mean, I think he had some before, but I think this was because he makes these videos that impression short and and easily made and technology allowed for so so i mean the followers thing is i think that's why people wanted it i I think i think if i ask myself why i stay on facebook you know forget that whatever you think of the company mark zuckerberg whatever i basically stay on it it's for two basic reasons it's like i get booked on shows that way i mean people reach out to me they don't necessarily have my information so that that's the number that's one reason and then it's just as corny as it is, it's an easy way to keep in touch with extended family and see baby photos. I don't think that's that corny. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a good. That's one of the better uses of it. But I, yeah, if I've definitely had people from like high school who I haven't talked to in a long time, friend me, and I'm like, okay, I and mean, we could be friends, but why really? You know, I mean, not to be a jerk, but no, no, no. But um, you're not going to go home and then have beers with those people. <laughs> no, I am not. I haven't they're, thought about they, that. No, they, you know what? But that's you're not being a jerk by saying that this is this is something that I kind of had to come to a conclusion with is that when you you get to a certain point in your life as you lately live decade to decade, you have to you can comp- you compartmentalize that stuff. There's a reason why you don't hang out with everybody you went to elementary school with. There's a reason why <laughs> sure. you don't hang out with everybody you went to high school or college with. There's a reason why you're still not friends with everybody you had your first job with when you were 21 years old. Everybody moves on and goes and does everything. We're not meant to stay with the same group forever. So there's no offense in saying like, 
I don't know why we're reconnecting. And, and, and specifically for me, I had to get rid of some of them because it it got ugly. And I was like, now I know why we never stayed friends in the first place. Well, that's the why do you want to reconnect like, with me to yell at me? Exactly. Later? Like, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. But I also feel like just because of like what you do, you're a comic, you're a writer. Uh, anyone that knew you that knows that's what you're doing is probably, if they're not super jealous and angry, then they're probably amazed. You know what I mean? Like, unless you go from a place where everyone moved to Hollywood and became a writer, it's it's a curious thing. Correct. And, and I have a lot of my old friends from where I grew up. The majority of them are great. You know what I mean? We don't really, we're never going to hang out, like you, like, like you said, John, but, but at the same time, they're good. They're they're pleasant online, and they're not that they're they're not looking to have a daily conversation with you. They're not looking to rekindle something that you had when you were eight years old together, right? Like they're not looking for any of that stuff, and they're, that's great. And, and vice versa for me. I was oh, you know, I curious where you guys were at with you know how social media integrates into your life, or it's it's the least important thing in your life, you know. I mean, I definitely check it every day. I will concede that. And I think, I think I, if I, if I, I, one thing I've noticed about me is that I, I mean, many people have said this, but if I'm just sitting there and my phone is in my hands, I will open Twitter and look at it like almost involuntarily. <laughs> it's, it's kind of embarrassing. It, no, and is I, that the wrong that you on my phone? I can look at it. I mean, is, is Twitter the go to though? Like if you had your phone, for me, it is. Yeah. yeah. Mine too. Reason, Mine yeah. too. And I'm with you, dude. Yeah. Like, there, the events of this weekend, whatever was going on, I literally was on Twitter refreshing uh, Santa Monica, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, this weekend I will say like Twitter, the ability, if you weren't able to see it on the local news channels here, what was happening, if you, if you put Santa Monica into the search, you would get some information. It may not be totally reliable, but it's up to date. But you can go through the information yeah. in that hashtag and you can figure out what is reliable. And yeah, and I, I have kinda, a brain. You know, as much as I dump on social media, I was like, this is a good use of it. Like to imagine, you know. Imagine being in COVID, like this lockdown situation with no internet, no social I media, know. I know. and Frank style, I know. having to be quiet. Like, I just, we're a spoiled fucking bunch of We are. Right? Yeah, we are. Like, I want to be inside. I want a haircut. Shut the yeah. fuck up and get back online. Yeah. Get my, yeah. my favorite thing is the people that call us sheeple for wearing masks are, are people <laughs> that probably are followers of, let's just say, a certain religion, which if you just follow it blindly, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> I find that I find the irony of that and the hypocrisy of that like pretty amazing. And I'm not again, if that's what you want to do, I don't care. But I just think the irony is is pretty amazing. The hypocrisy. Raj, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, Arlington, Texas. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, Antonio. and here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? You know, I've gotten two different, which which I appreciate this and. I we've had multiple people on our show of multiple different races and ethnicities on this show that have grown up in Texas and they have given us some great insight and in what it is like to grow up there. Um, surprisingly, there are a lot of similarities, no matter who you are uh, about the state that um, people who have, I guess, for lack of better purposes, have left there and gone somewhere else yeah. that share a similar ideology. But I'm curious as to, 
what your takeaway is. And Arlington is just outside of Dallas, correct? First off. Uh, yeah, it's like between Dallas and Fort Worth. And, okay. And, 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 and so what was that like growing up? And just so for anybody who can't see Raj, Raj, what, what, uh, um, what is your, forgive me, is it? Oh, no problem. Yeah, this is the uh, Indian American. So Indian American. Uh, my parents were born in India, but I was born in America. Okay. So uh, it was, um, you know, I think growing up, I mean, the first thing I always tell people is if I, I always wanted to leave from the time I got there. I got there in like first grade. So I was like seven or so. And I was like, I, I want to leave. And then I finally left. And I really have a lot more fondness for Texas and Arlington now. Uh, than before but i was a young age did you want to leave um i don't know about seven maybe that's an exaggeration probably when i was a teenager that though i mean that's a longing for something different there's that's you know what i mean that's i think that's a a lot of people have that right like it's i mean probably more when i was a teenager is when when it was so so i mean my experience growing up there was i i would say like we were really one of the few families of our background there. You know, it was a very, uh, not a very diverse place when I was growing up, but now when I go back, it's actually very diverse. Arlington. Really? Yeah. It's, it's pretty diverse. I mean, I, I, I'm always a little, you know, pleasantly surprised. There's quite a few, uh, East Asian families and quite a few, um, you know, Latino families now that, that have really made it a far what more diverse. What family there, Raj? Uh, basically, my dad got a job there. He's an, he's an engineer, and he got a job at uh, Alcon. They make uh, contact lens solutions. They're based okay. in, in Fort Worth. So we, we we were there forever. My parents are still there in the same house. And, I mean, it was like I always feel like people were, were, were mostly – I mean, most of the people I grew up with, I felt like were were basically some were exceptionally nice and kind of had that sort of whatever you want to call it, southern hospitality thing or whatever. Uh, some were most were just kind of like you know indifferent or not not, and then some you know some were pretty mean. I, I mean, I, I had it. I was kind of. I mean, I'm a nerd anyway, so probably you know junior high and high school weren't going to be like a great time for me. And then you throw in that you you kind of look a little different. It, it wasn't like the world's greatest experience. Are you, uh, um, how many people in your, how many, yeah, any brothers and sisters? I have an older brother. An yeah. older brother. How, yeah. how about how much? Uh, two years old. Okay. So you were yeah. kind of in the same stream with him in some respects, right? I'm assuming you guys went to high school at the same time, or do you guys go to different places? We, we overlap for like a year at both okay. junior high and high school. Yeah. yeah. Was and, it, what was um, ha- having an older brother in the stream ahead of you? Did that help guide you a little bit, or were, were you guys? Was he the older brother? Like, shut up! I don't care what you're to say. You're my younger brother. You annoy me. Or was were, were you able to? Uh, he was pretty like. I always say he was like Wayne from Wonder Years. He was the older brother who like <laughs> always tries to pick on. You know, it changed when he got older, but growing up, he just was like not. I wouldn't say he was. Uh, let me. Uh, or what it was to show you the ropes kind of brother. <laughs> no. He no. didn't hand you the secret senior uh notebook. <laughs> no secret. Not at all. But he he is like a big guy. I mean he's like six three and pretty big. Oh. So you know that was nice to have a he was not a tough guy, but he looked imposing. So yeah. At least and, and, uh, are, are you guys are you guys tight now? A lot once he once he went to college I feel like he kind of 
changed or something and became figured like, out that uh, being a dickhead wasn't the best way to go through <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, I would say at least if you guys have brothers, you know, a third of yeah. brothers at least behave that way when they're kids. Yeah, yeah. So, what really um, you know, you talk about um. It's funny how uh, I feel the same way about Wisconsin. I feel like the whole time I was there, I just wanted to leave, but I like going back. I have my, I have my, my categories of romanticizing and then other ones where I kind of scoff at, like I think anybody does yeah. their hometown or their home state. But what are the, what are some of the things that, what would be some of your things that you romanticize about Texas that you like now that you're not there? And what are some of the things that you're just, that you're like, you know, I'm okay that I'm not, it's okay that I'm not there for that anymore. Like, it kind of goes both ways, right? It does, for sure. I would say, like, the number one thing I like is the pace is slower, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, L.A. isn't New York or something, but it's kind of a rat race here, you know, especially in our business in some way. You know what I mean? Like, You feel always, like you have to be moving. Yes, you always feel. And that's partly why this, like, lockdown can be hard for people in general, obviously, but it's certainly here in this business. Like, you always feel like you have to be, I don't know, developing yourself or selling yourself whatever it is and i feel like in texas the pace is just a lot slower i, I don't know and i and i i like it i mean i, I romanticize mean in, it do you mean even in comedy i can't really speak to that much but i just think like there's less in general to say there's no like interest in status is wrong i mean we're all people there's of course status but i don't know la has like um it's a little more competitive or fast paced. I don't know. And, and kind of like, I'd say even, even things like, um, uh, you know, people drive slower. I, I don't know. Like, like yeah, Texas everything. is just, and I, 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 you know, I think John, you're from Ohio, right? Is that right? Uh, Illinois. Illinois. Okay. Yeah. And like, and you know, Brian, you're from Wisconsin. I mean, the pace has to just be different. And, totally and, different. One of my favorite things is that I can back out of a driveway and there's no cars coming. That or as stupid as it is, like parking. Like you don't have to leave your house and go, do I pay for parking? Where am I parking? <laughs> Dude, I, I asked, I remember I went home once and was like, as I'm coming over. Is there parking? And someone just goes, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yes. Where do you want to park? Yeah. I go, just close. They go, is the driveway close? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, Never mind. There's and not even like, signs to read about where yeah, you, you can park. You don't have to worry. You just you literally park. Get out of your car and walk and, away. And, come and back that stuff is, is, is enticing. I, the cost of Texas, Wisconsin, Illinois, I mean, you know, it, it is like yeah so different i mean yeah. forget about housing or anything but even just going to get a beer or something is like it costs this much to eat dinner yeah i'll, I'll you know I'll I'll six meals <laughs> yeah so that stuff i like i do think people are friendlier in probably the south and the midwest than i think people in california are pretty friendly but there there's like an overt I don't know. People smile at you when you walk or wait. No, you know. I don't know if that's just the suburbs or what. No, I think I big would... cities people keep to themselves. I mean, yeah. with you, when I was when I was traveling, um, I was like, I mean, we all romanticize, you know, the Japanese culture and how perfect and wonderful it is. But man, if you go into Tokyo, I mean, watch out. Ain't nobody yeah. smiling. Nobody's yeah. saying, and they're knocking you over if they're in the way. So let you know. I mean, it 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 can, it can go. It's is a little bit of everything. And I think when you get into big crowded cities, people just their attitude is I don't have time to smile or acknowledge you or ask about the weather. I gotta go. You know, that, and that, I mean, that's the beauty of a Midwestern town or a southern you know, that part of it is it's okay to take a sec to have that conversation. Yeah. 
And I, I am a pretty introverted, you know, shy person. So I'm not necessarily that outgoing. So I don't mind the anonymity of being in the large city either. But there's something about people are, in my opinion, friendlier in the South and probably the Midwest too. Like, I just think they are, or at least want to, there's a lot of people say like, oh, it's just phony friendliness, but I take phony friendliness over actual awfulness, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I yeah, if, if you only have to have a little bit of interaction with somebody, even if they don't like you, you'd rather they smiled and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if they're in their head, they're like, get hit by a Boston taste your own blood. You're like, yeah. eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I didn't hear that out loud. You know, so those are the things I like a lot and like the ease of doing anything. Like going to Best Buy isn't like a hassle. It's just like, oh, just drive there, park, get in. It's not crowded. It's not annoying. But if you want to get something done in L.A. or going to the airport, whatever, it's always like torture. It feels That's your day. It's your whole day. Let's play the the stereotype games and you can tell us yes or no based on your life in Texas. Sure. Majority of people wear cowboy hats. Uh, no, but you will see it. Yeah. Uh, the, the state of uh, uh, some either picture or artwork of the state of Texas is in every Everywhere. home business. Um, I cannot say every, but a lot. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. A lot it's of like 97%. <laughs> a lot of lone stars on houses. Like when you drive, at least in Arlington. Yeah. yeah. The majority, how about this one? The majority of Texans do not want to be a part of the United States. I, I don't think that's true, but I bet it's like 30%. I bet it's wow it's high. So you, the lot just want us to seed. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if it was semi-high. Yeah. But once um, you actually once they were actually faced with it and what that would mean, they would probably be like, no, we're better off. Sure. I'm sure yeah. Missouri would like to do it too. But yeah. yeah. In front of them, they're like, I have to read this? I, I guess <laughs> yeah, well, it's day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and the last question, the hot button question for Raj Design. <laughs> Um, the majority, are people, the majority oh. of people uh, in Texas are extreme evangelical Christians. Not the majority, but a high percentage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. good. And, Those are very good, reasonable yeah. answers from an introvert who wanted to leave the state. Okay? <laughs> so there is rational human beings that don't leave trying to burn the house down, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, for sure. And I, I think... I would say this, this is the number one thing about Texas you will notice when you get there. Probably the South, maybe in the Midwest, is trucks. There are so many trucks. It is like kind of the dream car of most, most you know, young people. Yeah. And I, even I love trucks. They're comfortable. I, there's just no practical use for them in That's, L.A. Yeah, no. great. I would love to have a large They're uh, awesome. extended cab yeah. truck that I could, you know, throw all my shit in and drive yeah. away. But then if I live in a city like this, it's like, it where makes am I no parking sense. that? Where am I parking that? And then if you have a truck in this city and you're a comedian, your phone rings three times a day with people like, hey, man, I got to move a computer. Yeah. Hey, man, I got to <laughs> yeah, move yeah. a laptop uh, yeah. holder for this thing. Hey, man, yeah. I got a couch. Hey, man, I got oh. It's like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. You said that you were an, um, you were kind of a nerd and, a, and an introvert. So what was that all about? What did that mean for you in middle school and high school? What were you doing and when? how did it develop into stand-up comedy and writing and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I think um, I think I, you know, uh, was was pretty, you know, bookish, pretty, you know, tried hard in school and, and did fairly well and and so I focused, you know, on school to some degree, academics. And um, I think comedy just, like, I, 
I, I, I'm not entirely sure why it was like such a big part of my life, but I guess I grew up maybe you guys in the time when there was a lot of stand up on basic cable, like on A&E. TV and A and E and VH1. Yeah. yeah. And Rosie O'Donnell, VH1. Rosie O'Donnell, stand up spotlight. I mean, I watched all of it. I mean, yeah. I watched all of it and I could not get enough and I, I couldn't tell you why. Was there anything? Because I'm, I feel we must be right around the same age because I, that was, that influenced me heavily, just being able to see all those stand-ups all the time. Yeah. Did you ever watch a show called Turkey Television on Nickelodeon? No, I mean, I definitely watch, you know, You Can't Touch. Sure, You Can't Do That. that stuff, there, was a, but. there was a show called Turkey Television. The first stand-up I ever saw on television, television, was Dana Carvey doing that Chop and Broccoli bit. As That's a, a good as bit. Him on stage, <laughs> and it was on Turkey Television. And I was like, and yeah. me and my brother were like, dude, this is what is this is hilarious, you know? And and I I remember thinking like that, oh, that's cool. And then all the stand-ups I remember, and literally this is this speaks to the time because there were very few even black comedians that were on A and E. You know what I mean? It yeah. was predominantly white dudes, maybe a Paula Poundstone, maybe a Rita Rudner, yeah. maybe an Elaine Boozler in there, and then all white people. Was there anything growing up where you were like, I don't see me. Maybe I could have a voice in this. Or was it just, you were like, no, nah, I'm going to do comedy. That's interesting. I actually think, uh, I certainly didn't see people who necessarily look like me. Obviously that would just be not possible, but I, I will tell you the first time I saw people who reminded me of me and my friends were Conan O'Brien and Andy Richter. When they were on late night, no one knew who they were. And I said, these guys are unattractive nerds basically i mean like this, this these are guys Idiots. i know these guys like i hang out with these guys you know i'm a nerd these guys are on tv and you know i love that show so in my opinion they were doing some of the best comedy you know in the 90s and you know especially once they got their their rhythm going and i was like these guys have their own tv show and they do not look like people you see on tv to me you know yeah. So they, they were definitely people I saw and thought, I guess they're willing to put people like me on TV. I mean, not that I was necessarily interested in having a talk show or something and performing much, but like. But that was a, that was your first insight to like, yeah. oh, you don't have to be a hot stud with yeah. an and fucking perfect delts yeah. to get on And like television. Paul Schaefer, too. I mean, I loved Letterman and I was like, Paul <clears throat> Schaefer is like, uh, I mean, he's a talented musician, but he's not. Telegenic, I would say, no, you know, not to no, put the no, guy yeah. down. If you, if you walk but, by uh, him on the street, you'd be like, okay, little man, step yeah. aside. Yeah. And totally like a lovable, fun guy to see on TV. So, so some of that stuff I saw and thought there might be a place. But I mean, honestly, I thought this will sound so stupid. Maybe you guys can connect with it. But I thought if somebody was on, first of all, if I, I thought if somebody was on A&E's Evening at the Improv, Famous. Or MTV, they were millionaires. Yeah, I thought they I were millionaires. Of course. And yeah. I thought their parents ran show business because I was like, <laughs> wouldn't everybody want to do this? So these guys must have been born into it and they must be loaded. <laughs> Two things. And you know, a common thing comedians talk about is how broke they are. And I would be there at 12. I'm like, this guy's lying. He's a millionaire. He's on TV. Oh, yeah. And and now, <laughs> dude, and maybe it's different from Texas, but like <laughs> they're there are a contingency of numbnuts in the Midwest <laughs> who think that if they've seen you on TV one to two people, times, people still, I, I would show think up it driving too. my mom's car when I go home and people are like, 
What are you doing? Where's your cargo? <laughs> Dude, I flew Spirit Airlines to get here, bro. Yeah, I have a dollar fifty in my guys, bank. Account. Guys, you're pulling back the curtain. No one wants to see back <laughs> there. The curtain yeah. needs to be pulled back because I can't buy another round for everybody because I've been on TV one time in 2009. <laughs> so, Raj, take us back to the dinner table conversation when you finally came to this realization and you were like, Mom, Dad, is there any way you guys could buy a television network? <laughs> yeah. What I've deducted, I mean, the only way I will be I mean, successful in Hollywood is if you guys purchase the improv. <laughs> well, you guys, you guys must know Patrick Keene, right? Oh, you know that great joke he has about, like, I heard a great way to break into show business to have parents in show business. So I just bought my parents some acting classes. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, always, like, I love that joke because it always, like, felt like kind of true or something i don't know yeah. there's a lot of truth to it so uh i i did not have a i i don't know what i thought i i think i think the three of us also probably came of age at a time when there weren't so much there wasn't so much information available yeah. about how yeah. to get into stand-up uh which i think in some ways not to whatever glorify our era or something but it drew people who just were like well i want to do it and i don't i'm know gonna do it is, however you know? I'm just going to move to New York or LA or Chicago and just do it and see what happens. Um, now you can literally Google how to be a stand-up comedian I, in Los Angeles. Yeah. And you'll get some answers that are useful. Yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. Have a place and, to live. I was like, Oh, that's not a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, the podcasts like Mark Marin's or Joe Rogan's or whatever, they're, they're, they're you know, useful or great or whatever, but they do give people a sense of like how to do things, you know? Yeah. Approach things, which isn't bad, but it is not at all. Well, yeah, Yeah. but you know what? This medium, too, you know, podcasting is a perfect example. I actually think, unlike social media, that podcasting really can help you find your voice, even if you don't take a stage. So that by the time you get on there, you may have a little bit more of a defined idea of who you are and what you want to be. To where in the past we didn't have that, we had to find our voice over a five to work it out on the stage, and that's fine too. It's a different journey. When you and said you really wanted to get out of Texas, did you did you go to college and did you stay local or is that was your first step out of? I went to college in San Antonio, so okay, Texas. So almost. That's almost. why I thought you were from San Antonio. Yeah, and it is like a larger city than than Arlington. I mean, Dallas is larger than San Antonio, but I was in a you know a normal sub. You know, my, where I grew up looked like Glendale or whatever. It just. Yeah. That's buys and chilies, but it had a very Texas flavor to it or whatever yeah, you want to call it. You know, the I biggest best buy. The biggest chilies. Best buy, yeah. Yeah. Texas toast and Texas iced tea available. <laughs> what did you go to school for? Uh I actually studied uh, believe it or not, biochemistry. I okay. And so that's what I did. So clearly comedy comes out of that, as you know. So obviously you want to be really deep into biochemistry for all the best material. For all the last. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there, do you guys know the comedy club, River Center Comedy Club in San Antonio? It, it's kind of the big one there. I, I don't know what the scene is anymore. But but when I was in college, I did open mics there. And this is sort of sort of funny. The open mic there was intended to be all blue material. It was, called, it was like at midnight on Saturdays, and it was like a – Dirty, dirty comedy. And, you know, and I barely had any experience with sex at that age and, and had nothing to say about it. And so I just went up and talked about Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> I actually did pretty well. I was like a change of pace. And so they had me come in and do like regular nights occasionally, you know, and get paid 10 bucks or whatever. So 
That's hey. kind of where I started a little bit. And um, what? Do, how how far into college in were college, you when you decided to do? Uh, when you started to decided to take the stage? I was a junior, and a at junior that time, I mean, you guys remember? I mean, when we started comedy, it was not cool. It was lame and. I don't know if it's cool now. It seems cooler. I, I don't know. People I think there's a cool kids club that make I, people I, think it's cooler. Well, I, don't, I think Dane Cook kind of changed the culture. I think how you could see, how you could see, you could to, to for some people, Dane Cook, Joe Rogan, Mark Maron make it a little bit more rock and roll. Back in the day, it was more Jerry Seinfeld. Kind well, of Dane Cook made it so you could do comedy and fuck chicks. It's like yeah, he, yeah. he made it seem like oh, comedy is hot. Chicks might yeah. dig this instead yeah. of you know, uh, somebody on a dating app going, I-, I like a guy who can make me laugh. Like this guy was up there actually doing yeah. it and chicks were loving it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as a, a young comic in the back of the room, you're going, okay, this is what chicks. I remember seeing Dane Cook one night and then being like to myself going, I have to be more physical on stage. He's all over yeah. I need to yeah. move more. And my, I did a set at three clubs like the next day and I tried being physical and I was like, what am I doing? This it's, is yeah, it's got a not who I am. Yeah, that's so funny. not who I am. I mean, but but yeah, I mean, at that time, you know, it was like the '90s. I wouldn't say it was like a hip thing, and we the club barely got audiences, you know, unless it was like um, unless somebody would draw. And, and did you make an announcement to your friends? I'm going to try stand up comedy, and how'd that go? I told a few. But I was, I consider myself fairly lucky that I did not do the thing where I invited like everybody I knew to my first show. I, I know people who did that and I don't think that's a good idea. Maybe your it. first show. I've done it. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, what was your, were your friends, were your friends like, yeah, that makes sense. Or some of them like, what, dude? I, you know what? It's interesting. You said, I think everybody that knew me well thought it made sense. I mean, oh. I'm not an outgoing like guy who's like constantly on whatever doing bits or on or whatever but people who knew me well knew i like pretty pretty much was a comedy head or whatever love with comedy comedy history all that stuff so i don't think anyone was surprised they may have been surprised that i thought i was funny enough or compelling enough to do it but my interest i I think it wasn't like whatever if i decided to open like a canoe shop now people would be like you're into canoes you know i mean it it wasn't like that at all people knew i cared you um yes. at that time when you first start because obviously we all have to pull from somebody or somewhere when we first start because we have no idea what it's going to be like until that first time you put the foot on the stage and it happens right yeah who would you have compared yourself to the likeness of when you first started doing it like where were you pulling from like what was the world I think primarily uh, the bad version I was doing. Even when I got to LA, it was some some version of Mitch Hedberg that was like, you know, he was someone I, you know, always list as kind of like a bigger influence or something. If someone asked me, and I don't know, I saw him. I saw like some of the more uh, absurdist one-liner type comedians, and I thought, well, that's something I can do. You know, I, I never really saw. I, I mean, I think Chris Rock, for instance, is a genius or something, but I never saw that and thought, oh, I could do that. You know, yeah. or. I thought I see you know Jerry Sein some of the observational people Jerry Seinfeld or like Jim I saw that but oh I could talk about ketchup you know I could do that you know and have some funny things to say about it but I think for the most part like I, most comedians I saw and I thought oh, I can't I mean Dane Cook I mean I'm like I can't I can't I'm not like yeah, yeah, in my head. <laughs> I can't do head. that yeah. yeah 
not the possible. Monopoly bit that takes 15 minutes while I'm doing yeah. push-ups or whatever. And yeah. even if it's popular, I can't do. I can't force myself to do it. So I, I think I kind of did a yeah, kind of lamer version of, of, of some of those guys. So when you start doing stand-up and you're obviously pursuing a career that is really in the opposite direction of what stand-up is all about, when you get a degree, obviously at some point you're making decisions, right? Like where your desires lie? Or did you actually get a degree, go to work, that was your stand-up was just your hobby? Like wh wh where was it in that world for you? I mean, I got a degree and then kind of just, uh, to me, to be totally honest, I, I was – or you know, I was doing stand up at that club and then it, I wasn't doing very well for a while. I'd be bombing basically. And then I was like, I guess I just I'm not good at this. And I kind of just put it away in my head, you know, uh, idea of doing stand up. Um, it was, you know, it's interesting. Like if you talk about if you're starting comedy now and you were to hear famous comedians talk about, I feel like there's access to information where you could see Chris Rock say, Oh, I bombed all the time, but there wasn't really like that back then. So I just thought, Oh, I guess I'm not, I guess I'm not very good. You know, I was no laughs. You're like, I'm terrible at this. Yeah. I yeah. Just don't have any business doing it. So I kind of just put it aside and kind of a funny story. So, you know, San Antonio has a, a very large uh, Latino community and, and uh, there was a comedian. I would, the, the club asked me to do this to kind of open for this guy or host for this guy. His name is Rick Gutierrez. I think he still tours and is a, a fairly popular comedian, but he, you know, I, San Antonio, I was, it was like a Monday night or something, and, and I got bumped for him, actually. I wasn't, I got bumped for him. And he went up and just destroyed. And he was, like, speaking Spanish to the audience, you know. And, like, the audience was, like, loving him. And I was so dumb. I thought, oh, he's, this guy is going to, hey, this crowd is so hot. They're ready for, you know, the Rajman to come up and tear <laughs> the roof off. <laughs> I mean, we had totally different energies, Again, he's speaking to them in a language I don't even speak. A lot of the audience, so for a lot of a lot of his set was in Spanish, and I was just like, "They're gonna love my me discussing Dukes of Hazard, a show which hasn't been on in ten years. <laughs> yeah, the movie time. isn't out yet. The rebooted movie isn't out yet. And I'm talking about the doors not opening, on the <laughs> whatever I'm talking about. You know, real specific. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was it went so badly. I think it took me weeks to get over the yeah. whatever the feeling of like I guess I suck or people hate me and and it was just real simple. They just didn't want to hear what I had to say about something that isn't really that important or you know. Well, I'll, but also not a big deal. But, but that's but, the thing is you you didn't you couldn't understand at that point that it, this guy had a connection with the audience and and you just didn't have that connection. It's not no. because you were a bad comic, although at that point in time, you probably were a bad comic. Bye bye, works. Yeah. But that's not on you. That's yeah. on. But like you said, when you don't know that Seinfeld talks about bombing, that Chris Rock talks about bombing, that fucking Brian Regan forgets jokes, that when you don't hear that, you think these guys woke up and Eddie Murphy just walks on stage because <laughs> he's awesome. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. And that's what I thought. Like, anytime you don't get laughs, you're like, well, this is clearly. I mean, I think the first five years, I was like, should I even be, I mean, is this, I didn't, I did okay then, but then I did bad here. Then I did, well, same yeah. joke, same night, different crowds, different reactions. Different and reactions, you just realized yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not. it was, after that, I really kind of just stopped doing it for a long time because I, probably a fear of like, you know, experiencing the same 
humiliation and probably, and also just lo- the logic, I guess, again, like I thought was, okay, well, I, I guess I'm bad at this. I, I did badly once. You know? Right. And um, when you say you put it away for a long time, how long? Uh, I think like five years or so. Whoa. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really do it. And then I um, was working as a lab tech and after I graduated and, and just kind of doing normal, normal jobs. And then I actually worked at, at law firms doing like paralegal work. None of these are normal jobs. Just so you know, lab, you know, lab uh, tech day isn't jobs, a normal yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, is that where you then, came across the case about potassium in the butthole? And <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 That's yeah. when I realized how I could murder big, someone. Big, big piece of, uh, uh, okay. So I was doing that for a while and then I finally kind of hit a point where I was like, if I don't try this, you know, I'm going to, it was still, it was still eating at you. Oh yeah. He put it away. You didn't think you were any good, but in the back of your head, you were like, man, I still love comedy. I think that. And I think I, I mean, for me, like I, um, maybe you guys were down here right, right in your early twenties. I I was like uh, 27, 28 when I moved here. So a little later than a lot of people, but earlier than some people, whatever. Sure. But yeah. um, when did you move to Los Angeles? What year were you? Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. And and you was was the move to Los Angeles for entertainment, or were you already working out here, or were you just? No, it was for like to try to make it, it in or and, whatever. You know. I mean, and how did you get to that? How did you get to the? You know what? I know I've got. I can make a stable living. <laughs> or or I could. I could make a completely unstable decision, which I, I'm making fun of it, but it's true. You have to, you have to come to terms with that, right? Like you have to. Oh like, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, to be totally honest, I probably come across in general as a pretty like together guy. I am pretty together, pretty straight laced guy, but I was pretty lost in my twenties. I think a lot of people are, you know, it's supposed to be this time when you're having the time of your life or whatever, but I was just like, is this what being an adult is? Is this isn't very fun for me? I mean, I wasn't having the time of my life in my early twenties or me personally, you know, and I just was like, what is, uh, you know, you're just asking yourself all these big questions of what do I want from life? What is the point of it? Like, you know, and what am I supposed to do with my time here on, you know, just big, big questions were going through my head for years. And I think I just hit a point where I kind of, felt like I was willing to fail at something I cared about than to have success or stability in something I didn't care about that much. You know, I, that's think a, that was, I like, I like that uh, sentiment because that's kind of how I, when I moved out to LA, I had a lot of people that didn't believe it. They were like, well, what, when are you coming back? You know, you're gonna be back. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm not coming back. Like I'm going out there. And then when I got out here, I was like, things weren't going well. You know what I mean? I didn't have any money. I was living with another dude on the floor of some 40-year-old guy's apartment. I had, you know, my car kept breaking down. I didn't have any real work. I couldn't get production gigs. Yeah. I couldn't, you know. <clears throat> and I still, to my friend, I was like, I would rather die here homeless than come back and live with you again and have to have those jobs that I had and do live that life. Like, I mean, I, I, happening. I think there's like... Uh a desperation, uh, you you know, like that is worse doing something you don't like than doing something you like and and struggling through it. I think like, I, I don't know. I mean, you guys, you guys know Pete Carboni at all? Yeah. So one time, I don't know, this is like a long time ago. He was saying, well, I knew 
The reason why I never moved back is because I thought that would be I would be slightly more miserable there than here. And that's like, kind of, I mean, it's tough here. I can only, I mean, that sounds like a story I've heard many times, John, and it's, it's hard and you don't have a lot of people supporting you when you're making that kind of choice. It's really tough, but in some ways it's the, the kind of uh, quiet desperation you might experience where you're from or in another line of work is, is worse. So yeah, I, I mean, kinda, I, you know, went that way, but I think if I had gotten older and older, like, and maybe married and stuff like that, I, I would have come to terms with the stable side of it, I would have been like, well, I guess, you know, you make your choices and, and that's fine. But I was, you, but when you were doing it, what was the, you obviously, did you not restart comedy until you came out to Los Angeles or had you restarted it, started doing it and saying, you know what? I gotta, I gotta go to LA. I'm crushing it like a champ. Uh, well, it was, it was a semi, I mean, as illogical as that decision is, I would suppose it was semi logical. Like I, I kind of, uh, started doing improv. I didn't, I did, I took classes and was doing that. And then I had a friend from high school who lived in LA. He wasn't in showbiz at all, but he lived here. And I was like, I'll go out there for a week and I'll just see what it's like. And I'll go to clubs and open mics and just see what was going on. And, and I think like by that point, I'm sure you guys will vouch for this. You know, you go to open mics in LA and you think, boy, a third of these people have no business being there. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like insane. I mean, they're literally, it's literally they're off the street and belong in a doctor's office. (laughs) And it's, it is not that the bar to at least trying it is zero. Correct. It's like putting your name on a piece of paper. I guess I thought there was some vetting process for doing, I don't know what I thought. Again, it was a different time. Yeah. It was a different time in comedy. I, I thought that like people who got to do the open mic and say the comedy store were like, um, People who'd done it, you know, had some had some capability. Now oh, their names and got drawn out of a hat. Yes, yes the, the exact part, opposite. After no they waited for fifteen hours yes, or whatever yes. in the fucking yeah. sun, like. So I thought, me. okay, I could try it. You know, that that was a it was a Where, fairly logical decision. I what was the first open mic you went to, though? Uh, the first one was the, the comedy store. I went to the the Monday night open mic and waited um, and put your name waited, down. And I don't think I got drawn. I think I watched it. And I, again, my impression was, uh, boy, a lot of these people are really bad. I mean, really bad. And, you know, fair enough. It's open mic. I mean, now that I'm around long enough, I'm like, oh, okay, of course they're bad. You know, they're just figuring um, it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the next one I did was, uh, there was this place called the Nura Cafe on Melrose. I don't know okay. if you guys ever did that, but that was the one so. I did. And then. Just started doing whatever one, you know, coffee shops. What was There was one that Dave uh, Corrado used to run. Vine, I did that one all the time. And, uh, yeah. The but once you, so once you got into the stream, you just decided to stay. So when you got out here, though, um, how long between vi- the visit and actually uh, coming out was it? Or did you make that decision pretty quick after the week? Uh, it was probably like six months, but more for practical reasons, you know, right. just to like, you knew you were doing it. You just yeah, to get yeah. Your shit in order. Did yeah. you did you say I'm still going to try to get a legitimate job while I'm out here, or you were like mm. I can't do that because I don't want it to cut into what I'm trying to accomplish? No, I I 
had to get a job just to pay rent and stuff. And, and I wasn't like, I was never, I've done some acting in the time I've been out here, mostly because a friend cast me in something or something, but like I was never needed my day free to do auditions. So I was like, Oh, I'll just work a nine to five job and then have my nights free. That's one of the nice things about stand up is you can have a job and do it at night. Unlike acting, which is often to be available during the day. So, uh, Sometimes when I have friends like yourself, John, who are actors and stand-ups, I always wonder like how that schedule coordinates early on when you need to make, I mean, if you're attending bar, you can't do stand-up. If you're working a day job, you can't go on auditions. So, so I, I had that kind of good fortune. So I came out here, stayed with the same friend from high school for like two weeks. He was nice enough to let me crash on his couch. I, I got a place in Koreatown and got a job in Santa Monica, like a normal job, and then just started going from there of the grind and what, what do you see your like if, what, as you're moving forward at that point because obviously you've gotten writing gigs and not all comedians get writing gigs there's two different paths right or three different paths actually there's go on the road and mm-hmm. become a road comic and try to make specials there's do stand up try to get in just for laughs and get a deal on television and then there's other people that are like no I'll submit writing packages I'll be a writer I don't care like how did you see that evolve for yourself I think uh well well I I I I you know I will say like I before I came out here I had known I think I had read in interviews or something you know just that that you know, Judd Apatow had been a stand-up and then he had become a writer. And I knew that Louis C.K. had been a stand-up and then he'd become a writer for, for Conan O'Brien, which was, again, a show I read. Your show, like. yeah. So I kind of thought, I guess that's a way. And I mean, I was so stupid. I thought, oh, I'll go do like five open mics and then uh, Conan O'Brien will walk in and be like, you're hired. You know, I had no idea what it took. But also, it almost takes that stupidity to do I was it. Gonna say, <laughs> it, that, it takes the stupidity to get out here, and then that could happen. You don't find it. It's also not totally unheard of. That right. has happened. But um, but I think I knew early on that I didn't have, uh, you know, the world's most dynamic performance style. I probably wasn't going to, like, electrify audiences. They might think what I was doing was funny, but they they would never be, like, I want to see an hour of that guy that often. I, I could I couldn't yeah, imagine right. every being couple a draw. years maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean I couldn't imagine being and again there are guys who you know Jim Gaffigan isn't like Mr. Electricity and he's a, one of the biggest comedians you know in right. the country. Um, but so some of it was that like but also I, I kind of I, I kind of got into stand up thinking oh I'd like to write and then I really like stand-up and 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 i i have always stuck with it even when i've gotten ready for something you know so um and i did do the road some and i i was looking up to get colleges which as you guys know is like the easiest money in comedy it's but how how did you i've never done colleges like i've submitted to naca and they were like yeah. dude what we can't show this to college kids and then <laughs> and and i i never thought what i was doing was obscene or crazy or mm-hmm. off the cuff but they the what the rules I was sent back were like this, the, it's, it's such a narrow um, kind of area to be well, funny. Well, they sent you back with a picture of yourself and it said, look at you. The answer is no. You think this is the face of someone who's going to be in a college cafeteria at three o'clock in the afternoon telling <laughs> jokes to different students? <laughs> well, I think I got, um, 
I got to be like an alternate at a NACA event. And I never made, I never did like 50 colleges a year. I did like for about two years, I got college work. And that stuff pays well enough that if you do right. like 15 to 20 and you're just some guy and you're willing to like live kind of slobbily, you can you can make a living that way. So for right. like a couple of years, like 2008, 2009, I, I did colleges. And they, but I never made like, there's some people who make, they do like 50, 100 shows a year and that's, yeah. they make a lot of money doing it. So I did okay. And I think, I, you know, you've, you've known me for a while. I think people perceive me as a clean comedian, probably because yeah. I give off such a wholesome vibe. Wholesome vibe. But when I have to like actually filter it, for, when I had to do it for colleges, I'm like, oh, I guess I got to change this joke and this joke and this joke. And to be that's honest, saying because you're not a dirty comic, and for you to have to change your material to fit into this, it's really, it's area. really. But the other advice I got from people who who've done it, um, uh, Dan Cummins. I don't know if you guys know him. I, I don't know him well, but he one time. I absolutely. Dan is responsible for me even having a career still. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, that's yeah, awesome. I love yeah. Dan. Yeah. I mean, I don't. He, I don't even know if he would remember me, but of he course he said would. like. He was like, oh, well, if you just go up there and kind of do what you want and, and people like it, they won't really care. You just can't be super filthy. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. And that, I found that to be pretty true. Like no one cared if the audience they, – they no one really cared once you were there. But you just can't be like crazy over the top an sure. hour of – I've, I've yeah. had that where um, on the way – like gigs you get and then you get like a, an email and it's like you got to be PG – 13 it can you can't say these words and they give you a list of shit and then you and then so in your head i'm trying to repurpose my material to fit yeah. these guidelines yeah and then you get i get to these places and the people running the shows are like hey dude i know they send you that email can you disregard it and just be yeah. a human being and talk to these people like yeah. they're fucking adults and i was like oh, yeah. yeah i can do that for the moment no i mean i wants to be talked to like they're a child and, and, oh, yeah. and if you can't handle a couple of fucking swear words stay the fuck out of comedy clubs, comedy rooms, bars that have comedy, and college. A comedian, and college. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I do think that um, the other, I've found that to be pretty true, and I've also found that somehow my, my demeanor makes it not seem like I said the F word or something. Right, you know, right, right. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Like, people don't... just don't take me as like a guy who's gonna, who's like abrasive or whatever, which is fair enough. I mean, it's probably true. But it's also <laughs> hilarious and interesting because you could go up there, probably let the F word fly a little bit. And then if your demeanor is calm and they're liking what you're doing, and I could probably get up there and be super animated and never swear. And they'd be like, dude, what is going on? <laughs> I, mean, I don't, don't want to see this ever yeah. again. I never come back. Like, yeah. I just yeah. feel like yeah. it's just such a weird list of guidelines you know and it, i've had that and i once did a a cousin of mine had like a fundraiser thing and it had to be really clean and there were like children there and i had a real trouble i mean this isn't even that long ago getting 20 minutes of material and it had and it was like about commercials and like insurance commercial you know it, it's really it's it's pretty difficult i when i and when i see people who list themselves as clean comedians who do like I'm kind of impressed. Are people can do a cruise for 40 minutes and like, well, that's, I've been sort of like trying to repurpose a lot of my stuff because even though I just put out a new album and it's get, it's getting a little play on serious. It gets a little play on Pandora. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's got that explicit title because there's a couple of swear words in it. Yeah. Now 
if this 45 minutes that I just put out was squeaky clean, it gets five times the plays on all the other comedy channels because there's so many family comedy channels, Canadian mm. comedy channels, that, that focus on clean material. And then the rules that I got for these, it's like you can't talk about the bathroom at all. <laughs> like, can't say you walk yeah. by a bathroom. You can't say you went into a bathroom. You can't yeah. use the word toilet. You can't talk yeah. about taking a shit. It's like, dude, you just took out literally what I do with the first chunk of my day if yeah. I wanted to talk about it. Like, yeah. it's just so strange. It's, it's what people... I, but I, uh, I've actually gotten that advice from people like, oh, you should do an album and make it clean because yeah. that'll get plays and, and they need that. And I'm like, oh, okay. I've, it kind of crossed my mind to maybe do to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to repurpose some of the older yeah. stuff I have, take all the swear words out, make it clean, family friendly, and then record it and see if I can't get like 800 pound gorilla to get it to serious and see what um, happens. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things real quick. We're a minute and eight minutes, uh, one hour and eight minutes into the show. I am not done with my banana. And so <laughs> <laughs> that thing is still sitting around. Secondly, uh, um, when you take us through the process, we haven't, we haven't spent a lot of time talking to anybody uh, about this process, the process of how to become a writer for a show and what that looked like for you. Maybe start obviously with the first, a, a couple attempts. Cause I'm assuming you didn't get all the gigs you wanted, but like, what's, what is that world like? And, and, and then, and then get to the first time you actually broke through and what that was like. Sure. I think, um, I, I think it's, probably pretty the same pretty much the same now as it was then it's like you know i've i've only really worked in variety shows so talk shows and sketch shows and that type of thing i've never really broken into sitcom world which is a little different and typically involves you know having an agent and all that stuff but i find with variety shows i'm sure you guys at times somebody would tell you oh hey uh this and that show is is taking packets you know whatever the show is craig uh Ferguson or David Letterman, whatever. And so I, I first kind of started getting exposed through it that way, like a friend or someone I maybe did stand up with who worked on the show was like, hey, they're they're looking for writers if you're interested in submitting. And then the packets typically look like the show. Like if you're submitting to write for um, you know, Jimmy Fallon, you might submit idea game ideas that he could do with celebrity guest, and, and they usually have guidelines for what they're like or monologue jokes or whatever. Um, now that whole process is something that if you've been a part of it, submitted or even gotten a job or put out submissions, some shows really do read every packet blind. Some don't. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's recommendation based. It seems like none of them read blind packets. I'll be honest. I think people, I I do think some of them do. I mean, from, from what I'm told, I mean, I don't, the tonight show doesn't, there's no way they do not. That, no. that is that is the majority accurate. of talk shows I, and and in the defense of that because it sucks if someone like me if I, i've submitted packets to all these shows and i've never and, and i've literally had some where i'm like my god i feel like a writer this is really and i've had some where i'm like well i would wipe my ass with this and chuck it in a garbage can too but like i submit these things and i feel like i know full well that because i'm not friends with the head writer i'm not buddies with anybody on the staff that i'm not getting the look that i might get if uh, I was friends with the guy or somebody told me to submit or, you know, so I feel like it just feels futile. I know you keep writing because you want to be ready and you want to keep getting better and you want to keep getting better. And that is why I keep doing the packets, but it does feel like nobody's reading blindly. And it's all like, here's a stack 
people I know, check them out. Here's a stack of people I don't know. We can throw these away, you know. Um, I think I, I don't know that how... happens a good amount, John, to be honest. Or I, I think, I think like I, I kind of got a couple of my first gigs. Mostly, I think they were basically red blind. And then really? after that, every gig I got was kind of a referral, put together a packet, but here's, but here's this guy I know. I mean, The Tonight Show was definitely like a, a couple of people there knew me and they were like, put together a packet, we'll, we'll get it read. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's pretty fair. for the, A lot of shows do work that way, and, what you're and, describing. Yeah. But also, like you said, you, you're, the first thing you got, that, the first gig you got from submitting a packet blindly um that says a lot to me so by the by after that when you're getting referred it's like you're they're referring somebody who's already proven their worth you know what i mean like there's very little i mean so sometimes look i mean you guys know this this is life this is this business sometimes referrals are based on like i just like this guy we're friends so let's let's take a look at this person you know sure and sometimes you know they don't really know you that well but they just like your work and they're willing to refer you you know so I, I, those packets are really like, I mean, if people are listening and they have no idea how it works, I understand that. But if you are listening and you participated in that, they can really be pretty disheartening. You know, I, I submitted, you know, Brian, you, I, I probably have, I've, I've had four good jobs at good shows that people, not even everyone's heard of. The main one is the night show, but I've submitted at least 150 packets, I'm sure. In the time. And, and that's a hard thing, right? Because I think another, the other thing people don't, don't understand because it is a different muscle. You actually have to put some serious time into this rejection. Serious time <laughs> into rejection and serious time into, again, something that you don't even know is going to get looked at. Right. You know, so you have to work your, your ass off for yeah. some of them, many of them. And like some of the shows like um, the daily show, or John, the ones with like all the news clips. I mean, that takes a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work and you don't even know if it's useful, you know, and you have to spend a lot of time to just to give yourself a shot. Yeah. And, and so it, it can be pretty, pretty disheartening, like many things, this business. but the, but kind of what I was alluding to, I mean, as you guys know, like once you, how do you get your first break in this business and whatever it is, commercial, anything it's, is always like, it's like a catch 22. It's like, it's better to have an agent to get an agent, you know, or whatever, you know, yeah. or how do you yeah. get a, I mean, even getting doing stand up on TV, I would ask people like, well, it really helps if you've done it before. I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, so you, somehow you find a way in to like, or if you're lucky enough, you find a way in to be the first break and then it does become easier. You know, I oh, feel like I- once I had some credits, it was easier to get but so, as it should be, as it should be, you've proven yourself. You look what I've done. All these blind submissions finally got picked up. One thing, you've proven yourself. I, you know. So what was that like that first time you finally got a response that was positive? What was it, and what was that like? I mean, the the I got responses that were positive before that were like, "Hey, we liked your packet. Can you send a second one?" Or come in for an interview. Even a I mean, I had meetings. Packet. That happened sometimes, and then like come in for me. I had meetings, and I just wasn't getting the job. I mean, they have one space, you know, for you know multiple multiple hires. It is hard. And then, uh, I mean, when I got my first job, I it was it was pretty fortunate. I worked on um, the Triumph, the Insult Comic Dog. Had like an election series yeah. in 2016. Oh man! And and that was one where 
I do think they read blind. No one really told me. I think they read blind, but they only asked for, you know, certain, they asked for people on that who were writing on it to give names, if that makes sense. You know, so it was like yeah. a smaller pool. It wasn't like we're, anybody we're, on earth could submit. They didn't and go that, to Craigslist. Yeah. And that is helpful to, if you're in that pool, right. To be uh, a narrow pool. So sure. That that's kind of how that would happen, and of course it was good for. Now that was only the thing that was really fortunate about it, it was only supposed to be like a two week job, and then uh, it was on Hulu, and Hulu kept kind of like renewing it, and it ended up being about a year's worth of Whoa, work, which is awesome. Obviously, way more money, but just way more of a, stability more for that year. Really, in an impact too. The show got seen more, or I don't know that it was that popular, but it was critically liked. Yeah, you know? yeah, but it, it got you, but it but it got you. The most important thing, which was experience and really understanding how that part of the machine works versus just writing and thinking you know everything and submitting, you really need to get in the trenches and, and be a part of the machine and see how it works, right? And the, what I got out of that story, too, also is that, you know, you said you got her in 2005. Your first writing gig was 2016. That yeah, a long time. I mean, so I had had too. other stuff before, but it was like web shows. I mean, the first thing that was like... Like a, a good, job, job. Yeah, job that like, you know, maybe you could tell your parents and they would be like, I guess I've heard of that. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, you know. I could, if uh, I can turn on a TV and see it, I know yeah, it's a real thing. Exactly. Yeah, so that kind of thing was, it was a long time. And I, I mean, you know, for me, like, so I had some encouragement, like I would get meetings and stuff. And that's always like a double-edged sword. I'm sure you guys have been where you're like, I came really close to getting this. Do I, does that make me feel good or does it make me feel lousy? <laughs> you know, it can be like, is it better to like lose a game, you know, lose the NBA championship by like a bucket in game seven or just, or to just get never get in, yeah. never get me the playoffs, you know? So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's some, some question to that about that, whether I, I was encouraged or disheartened by those close calls. So, but but um, and by yeah, the way, I mean, everybody oh, has perspective on what we were talking about about web shows. In 2005, creating a web series and saying that back then was scoffed at. You kind of laugh the same at way it. people yeah. would be like, "Well, yeah, but your show's not on network; it's on cable." Like there was always something that was a little bit demeaning about the work that you're doing. Now there I've are seen web series that, that are better than anything on television. Exactly. You know, cable pays, you know, there, there's real careers to be had now, but we're talking about a time where that was not seen as sustainable. It was not seen as legit as other, um, you know, types of formats that you could, could write on. And, and so it's, it's understandable that there, there, the struggle is attached to it. Do you feel like once you got in the stream uh, has it has it been consistent since then? And is that kind of how you identify? Would you identify yourself now being in the stream, per se? We're talking about four years ago getting in. Do you identify yourself now as a writer first and a comedian second, or did you always? Did you never really identify yourself as a comedian first anyway? I don't know. I think I definitely would. If somebody asked me what I do, I say I, I'm a writer. And then if they ask me how I got into it, I will usually say, Well, I did stand up for a long time. So do you not do stand up at all anymore? I still do. I mean, right now I don't. <laughs> but, uh, really? Uh, the COVID tour? Yeah, 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 the COVID tour. Um, I still do, but I I will say like even like that that job at the night show, it was pretty time consuming. It was hard to get up like I was. You're just drained or you're like your energy for comedy is done by the time at 6 p.m., you know. You're all day in a writers room 
trying to literally get your ideas through a fucking wall of everyone else's ideas. Yeah, it's and it's, and, and not just the, the not just the coming up with the funny, but then to pitch it and keep people interested. Like you're drained. You're drained. Like I, the writers' rooms I've been in are laughable, probably in comparison, because it was like. I did some stuff with Eric Andre and we're just basically eating cookies and, and I mean, yelling. that sounds like so much fun. Oh my God. It was yeah. the best dude. Yeah. It was, it was easily one of the best jobs I've yeah. ever had yeah. in terms of everyone there was cool. He's an awesome dude. We're yeah. all having fun. It wasn't like I had to sit down and punch up scripts. It was like, Hey, let's think of the dumbest shit we can think of and see how to make it work. So it was, you, you I, worked on the Eric Andre show. I wrote very, very briefly for the very last season. Well, and that's then, uh, one of the best shows in the last ten years, man. I mean, and then that, I that show you guys. It's on Hulu. Check it out if you haven't. Yes, and and so show. I did two weeks because I have an extensive background in the world of hidden camera. Um, when he was doing his movie, they shot Bad Trip mostly in Atlanta, oh, and then they had a lot of issues right. with the people in Atlanta not being hidden camera people, and the production wasn't as tight as they'd wished. So they did two weeks of reshoots in LA, and those reshoots. Are what I worked on. Yeah. Awesome. So, well, I look like, forward to that movie. It comes yeah, out it, fairly soon, right? It on should Netflix. be on Netflix yeah. any any minute if it's not already out. But yeah. oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. I mean, some some writers' rooms I've been in are more like that. Like they're they're especially if they're just a weekly show or a handful yeah. of shows. The problem with the Tonight Show uh, problem is every day is show day, so it is like a compress. Every day is like pressure, <laughs> you know, and it all revolves around you know the host's schedule, like when he comes in, because he had an interview in the morning or whatever it is. And so it the, the compression of that schedule was, was something I hadn't dealt with before. And it, it was draining. I mean, yeah, for I everybody. Mean, for the Tonight Show, it's like you said, every day. So what? take us through a, uh, like a typical, just like a Tuesday or whatever, you know, uh, working on the Tonight Show. I mean, it, it changes like every so often i mean i mean i was only there six months i mean i i i obviously it was it's in or maybe not so it's in new york so i'm an la guy and i'm married and i have a wife here so i i can't i wanted to come i just want to do a short stint and come back but um i and i wrote for the monologue so the monologues is way more solitary and to, to be honest if you I mean, I don't mind being, it really wasn't like a fun job. It was, it was a ton of work, a good amount of pressure, a lot of deadlines. I mean, a lot of things about it are awesome. Like you're in 30 Rock, you're in New York, you know, there's always, I mean, the craziest thing is the hallway with like the, the guests. Yeah. Yeah. You're watching like Shaquille O'Neal talk to like, you know, Kira Knightley while, uh, you know, Questlove eats cheese and you, it's just <laughs> like every day you're just like, fuck, these people are famous you know you, it's like because we've all been around like famous, but when you have like 10 of them in the same area or yeah. something you're just like jesus christ and all the every time day. every day every day yeah. every day different people at the top of yeah. their game that's the only reason they're on that show yeah so that that stuff is is cool and it is fun and there, there was some fun but i didn't get that experience there of being pitching with everybody all that often it was like once a week you know, wow. okay. because of what we did, because of what the monologue team does, it's very solitary, but I've had the experience you're describing. And that is, that is fun to like be in a room with people who are funny and you like, and you just, you, you have a lot of time to come up with ideas and, and you can goof off more. There wasn't a lot of goofing off. At the night. Again, it's every day show day. So you have to show up and work. 
when yeah. you when the the, the, the as, as exciting as it sounds to get a gig like that, there is you have to leave. You have to leave the place that you lived, and you have to re you know live somewhere else and do all that stuff. I mean, what was that like? I mean, it's probably exciting and also nerve wracking, right? Like it's not as simple as just saying pack the bags, let's go, this will be fine. It or was. Did you handle it pretty well? I think I handled it fairly well, pretty well. I think um, I think I knew a little bit about the job. I know some people who had it before me, so I knew it was was fairly pressure. You know, you weren't walking in completely under the uh, assumption no. that it was going to be balloons and fucking exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had an idea what it's like, and and I'm I'm good. It's a very solid that job monologue writing. I did have an office mate, but. We didn't talk to each other. We both, I mean, he's a really nice guy. We both got in at like 8, 8, 8.30 and we didn't speak until 2 p.m. I mean, there, there are deadlines. All, I mean, except to like, hey, did you see this news item or something? There's no right. socializing. And and so the time crunch was was tough. Uh, oh, and yeah. um, so I, I think uh, I knew that stuff going in. I knew it wasn't going to be like a party but uh, and it was it's it's kind of the same thing a lot about life. It's a good it's like scary good scary kind of thing when you get a job like yeah. that. You're like, oh, what's that going to be? I I kind of knew I would be there for a short term, so the pressure wasn't as bad. You know. Um, so what did you do about living? Did you did you keep your place here and just sublet there? And and I mean, kept my place here. I mean, I'm I'm married, so we had a place your wife, here. Oh, okay. your wife then, stayed. Yeah, know, stayed yeah. here, and then I went there and just got a an Airbnb. Oh, okay. Like, for like a monthly, uh, you know, uh, rental and it wasn't so bad. And then when, um, you know, so every time you were working and they were calling you into the office, you were like, okay, so this is my last day then. So that's how you work. So basically you were always waiting to be fired. Is that what you're saying? No, no, that's no, the, 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 no, I mean, there is some of that. I mean, for everybody, I mean, <laughs> everybody has some, some length of whatever their contract is, like a chunk of time that yeah. they have to be renewed. Can I ask you a question, Raj? So, you know, you hear this a lot, especially in, in that world, specifically that world, whether it's SNL or these talk shows that how cutthroat it is. And so many people get paranoid and they're always looking over their shoulder that someone is trying to get rid of them to get their buddy in there or get rid of them so they can take over. Is it feel like that or is that a little bit of a manufactured? Uh, I think it's a little manufactured. I felt like all the the writers were very nice people. Some of them I got to know fairly well, like two or three, but most of them I just knew, you know, people are busy. So you don't really, you don't really hang out. So yeah. I mean, I got to know them on it. I didn't feel like anybody would like cut my idea to promote theirs. I think, I don't think that's true, but I also don't think it was a place. And I don't think SNL from what I've heard is a place that's like, you're here and we're going to make it work. You know, yeah. it's like you got to show up and you got to give them you gotta hit the ground. Everything right. you and if you don't, you're gone. I mean, there, there's no like handholding there. Yeah. And I think I did an okay job. I, I certainly was not a stellar, uh, you know, uh, writer there, but um, I think it's, it's not a place that has time to hold your hand. Yeah, because you, every you day. have to already know. You have to be going in there. Were you? And yeah. now, when you were hired, did they specifically say to you, "We like what you did with the monologues in your packet. We want you to be a monologue writer." Or was there like a you get there and then they kind of pick teams? 
sort it of It was specifically, I specifically submitted to that job. That's what they asked for and that's what they wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, that's who, where they were hiring. And I don't I'm know a, that I would have made a particularly great sketch writer there anyway. A lot of the sketches there, maybe you guys involve a celebrity that's involved with it. And so they have to, you want to talk about a fucking pain in the ass to get something through. I mean, I never did it, but like, if you have to get Matthew McConaughey into a sketch, you have to pitch something he wants to spend his time doing. This guy has no need to spend time doing it. Yep. It has to be approved by Jimmy. It has to be approved by NBC. It has to be approved by Matthew McConaughey's agent, his publicist. It is a such a pain in the ass to get that stuff on. And to be honest, a lot of times that's why it can be a little milk toasty, you know, and very traditional, yeah. whatever they're in. Um, because that's the, that's not that's not the writer's fault. Uh, I mean, no, I don't know that it is. I think if you, I think if 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 people saw some of the ideas that were pitched there, that were like they would say, "Wow, there's some really funny, surprising, shit. funny, crazy shit that just isn't going to get." Yeah, no. because for, for obvious reasons. Yeah, because yeah. if he's promoting how to kill a guy in ten days or whatever his whatever. movies are, <laughs> yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna fucking want to do a thing that's making fun of. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. So I that guess, that whole I sketch guess, side but, is I didn't yeah. really get too involved in some of it. I they would have us write for, but but not too involved. But the monologue is is they did have me do like if you're talking about the packet, so what they had me do is they said, okay, send us some stuff you've written for other shows and send us stuff from this week, like jokes, you know, Not basically like 50 jokes from this week that are up to date. And and they read them. Jimmy read them himself. I mean, everybody read them. Uh, but it, it kind of what you're talking about, someone there knew knew me a little, and was like this guy could be a good fit. So they, they read it. And they read it fast. It, it didn't sit on a shelf for a long time. That's you know? good. And I, I you know, Definitely the way they seem to kind of do it is like whoever, Jimmy or the producers, they kind of went through the packet and kind of just said like, would we be willing to do this joke? And did he get enough in or did he, did he show us that he could do this job from this packet is, is what they're thinking is. I'm not saying uh, they did any of the jokes on the air. They didn't do that, but they, they're, they're basically, they were saying like, could we do this? Right. This right. Guy. So they, they weren't like, this guy's just funny and we're willing to hire him and give him time. No, they to wanted to see money. what you'd written. Would he yeah. saying those things? Yeah. And definitely when you get there, they're not expecting you to immediately make an impact. Like you wrote half the monologue, but after a little while, like you got to put up numbers where they're going to say something. <laughs> and then and when you say numbers, you mean like just funny, funny jokes, like stuff that gets on the air, whether yeah. it's funny or not. And, and, you know, to be honest, a lot of it isn't necessarily stuff the three of us would probably laugh at, but it's got to get on. But we're also gotta, not the target audience. We're not the target audience, you know. So You're trying it's to make my mom like, laugh. Exactly. You try to make your mom and, you know, a 15-year-old laugh. And that, that's what the job yeah. is. And yeah. it's it's challenging in, in its own way. It has to hit a lot of, like, you have to uh, thread so many needles to get something on that would make the three of us laugh, to be honest. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very rare. Do I see something on a Tonight Show? And this isn't again. It's not. No, I know. No. I know who the audience is. Yeah. But it's very rare. I see something on Late Night. Where I'm like, ooh, I can't believe they. Like, I watched Chris Rock run all his Emmy jokes at the at the comedy yeah. at the comedy store, and I was like, oh, he'll never get this on the air. He did them all, 
It was yeah. fucking it yeah. was so funny. It was so yeah. well done. And then I know that's just not how it works other places. You no, know, the Tonight I Show mean, isn't looking to fucking piss off half an audience and mock a bunch of celebrities. They want everyone to like that, and they have advertisers and the whole the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's a it's a wide net, and then now the show is all those shows. I think Colbert they're they're broadcast in England and South Africa. You know, any English speaking country they're they're basically played in. So there's even some push to try to like not make it quote international, but not do something so specific. Like Kardashians are great. They're Kanye, he's famous everywhere. So if everywhere, you've got a Kanye right, right. joke, that's good. Or at Starbucks. I mean, right. you know, McDonald's. Think of McDonald's, yeah. yeah. You know, like, and, and it's it's just getting harder and harder for, I think, comedians in general to make fun of something, talk about anything that is universal, that is not like dating or, you know, if you're talking about topics, like if I went up and did material about, uh, I don't know, whatever, young sheldon i think that's something people would have heard of right they would at least heard of it sure but if you're doing jokes about i don't know some hyper specific show on hulu the, the great which is a show that just came out which is which right. is actually a pretty decent yeah. job watch but no one's gonna know what you're talking about so yeah. finding that you know so a big thing at the tonight show was to in the monologue was to make fun of businesses like uh starbucks cv because everyone's heard of them everyone has yeah. to use them you know, so if you looked at a monologue, at least when I was there, a third of the jokes were often about uh, Sears. You know, uh, you know, yeah. businesses and politicians that everybody knew. Yeah, and then the the bulk of it, you know, the top of the monologue was about Trump and all that stuff, and, and that was a whole other thing. I mean, you can't really you have to you have to write jokes about him while staying vanilla to not piss off the people that like him that watch the show. That is accurate, and you have to write, you know, a show like um, The Daily Show is going to assume that people watching are, are maybe following some degree, you know, but little The Tonight Show is meant for anybody, so they may know level. very little bit about about politics. So, you know, when I was there, it was a lot of, a lot of stuff about Trump using his phone a lot and tweeting a lot, which has been an angle for years. A lot of jokes yeah. about Bernie Sanders being old. Um, a lot of that, and, and just stuff that people could could, could get. You couldn't. Bernie is a target because Bernie doesn't care. He doesn't care, and he, you know, you know, I'm not saying they were great jokes or anything, but I could even find myself going, "Okay, that was a pretty funny Bernie Sanders yeah. hair is out of control joke." I mean, as far yeah. as those go, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Harlan, Harlan Williams used to make fun of Sanders on stage, and I was like, "That's pretty good. That's pretty. Good. He does look like his fucking hair is caught in a whirlwind." Yeah. Terrible, yeah. you know. It's you, uh, you were you referenced this earlier about when you were talking about like Shaq and Kira Knightley and stuff like that. What are some of the other things? Like, I don't know if John and I always talk about this. We try not to lose that fascination with Hollywood or looking at the Hollywood sign and still having a feeling for it. Or, oh yeah, or or seeing someone famous and still thinking that's cool. Like to to, to I think to to get over that is sad. And I'm just curious for you talking about what were some of the unique things or cool things that being being able to have access that you were like, huh, I can't believe I just saw that or that was pretty cool or I'm so glad I was here. I mean, I I can't. That's a show that the studio is really small and they, they, they don't exactly allow writers in there anytime they want. You have to like ask, can I go in and watch this or that guest? And I didn't really take advantage of that often, but. If somebody cool was going to be on the show, I would walk by the dressing rooms and like you can usually catch a peek. 
And so for that show, for whatever reason, I, I guess I felt like they had great musical guests often. Yeah. And like, you see David Byrne, and I mean, it's like, I mean, this guy is still awesome after 30 years. And, and they're playing with years, the Roots. Like playing with the, the Roots house, often. The house band is good. I mean, I, I often found myself looking at the musical guests, and some of it is going to, this isn't the great, sometimes I hadn't heard of the guests because it was a new rapper, you know, or whatever, something I, I don't know about. And so sometimes it made me feel a little disconnected from culture. But a lot of times it's like, I mean, we had uh, Patti Smith on, uh, you know, who wrote this book I really called Just Kids I Really Loved. I mean, that stuff is, I, I think that's very true, Brian, to like not lose your, your love of it. I still, I wouldn't say I get like, there is part of me, like, if I just, that it, it, it is kind of matter of fact, but even to go on like a studio a lot, is kind of cool, you know, like for an audition or whatever. So I always try to keep that in mind. But I think um, there, it was, and when I did go in the studio, it is, it is the same studio that like, I mean, I wasn't really around for it. But the Johnny Carson started the Tonight Show in. Like, that's where the, the it's Studio Six. Um, well, I, 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 I'm actually blanking on it, but it is so <laughs> it's Studio Six uh, B, I believe. But uh, it's like television history is like in that thing. Like, I mean, that building is yeah. Just, so just the SNL years in that building SNL alone. SNL years, and then like I happen to work right across from the Tonight Show the current Tonight Show is made is where they made Late Night with David Letterman and Late Night with Conan wow. O'Brien. These two shows I really like. Now they make uh, um, Jenna and Hoda in there, which is, is uh, the uh, fifth hour of the Today Show. Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> I never seen it. You know, it's fine. But, it, you know, it, it's got like this really cool history. And then that's where like the bathroom nearest my office was. It was like right here. That's yeah. So stuff like that. Anybody, was there ever a bizarro moment where like, just you caught yourself, even if it was a mundane, how's the weather quick conversation with someone when you walked away, we like, okay, that would probably never happen on a normal day, but because we happen to be asking each other in the hallway or whatever, or even somebody acknowledging your existence where you were like, ah, I've been acknowledged. Okay, good. I'm fine with that. No, I mean, not really. I definitely saw like Lester Holt. He hosts NBC, I think NBC Nightly News, maybe. Yeah. He's definitely a big, I mean, he was, yeah. I saw him like 10 times and he, I think one time like held an elevator open for me. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't really bug him much. I guess his office must have been somewhere near us, you know, for that to have happened. I saw Al Sharpton like, Fucking like all the time, but it's because MSNBC like, is right near us, and he has his own. He's show. Always on the news, yeah. And I felt like I was always leaving to get coffee when he was leaving the news or something. I I, I don't know. And he was just. So I, I guess the question there. is maybe the better question would be: Did it always stay a tad bit surreal to you every time those little things would happen? Did it still seem? That's, that's interesting. I I think. I think certain things ran out like, I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, I was only there half a year and I, I maybe interacted with Jimmy Fallon, like maybe four times, which isn't really? uncommon at talk shows, but the first couple times you're like, this is the guy who was on SNL. You know, it, it is surreal and he's talking to me and he knows my name. I mean, mm -hmm. whether you're a fan or not, it's just kind of like right. it's crazy, crazy, right? And then after a while you'd see him and, just in the hallway, it kind of became a little bit like seeing the coffee pot or something. Not that he's, a, you know, you know what <laughs> no, I mean? Like, you're like, 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 oh, no, he's here. His office is yeah. here. The you know he's here. here. 
you know, not the end of the world, but then, um, so it, some of it did wear off. And I will say like where I sat, you know, it's just like a normal office. I mean, it's pretty boring other than it's in a building that's famous, you know, it's right. like, there's the coffee machine and there's like, and we, <laughs> for whatever reason, I, I do think this contributed to maybe a little less fun for me there, a little less of a good vibe there is, um, just cause it's where they had the office that was available they sat me and a couple of the monologue writers on a different floor than the rest of the show. And we sat next to, I believe, NBC, like accounting or something. So it wasn't like a thrilling floor. It wasn't like people weren't like throwing footballs in the hallway or yeah. something. You know, it was yeah, like no a pretty... ball to take a break. And... Yeah. No, that's was... okay, dude, because let me tell you something. Some of the jobs I've had in my life, and we all know the worst office is the one right next to the bathroom it is like <laughs> oh, that's for sure yeah i say the bathroom you, yeah. and then if, if you're next to your boss that sucks i never want to be next to my boss yeah, the bathroom yeah. is the worst yeah. though, because first off you inadvertently learn everyone's habits second oh. of all it's like it's just... and then you see their shoes so you know when you go in there and someone's taking a dump you know who it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean but but it, it, it does kind of get to the, you know, someone's heating up their leftover, you know, lasagna and you're just going, <laughs> okay, this is just like any office. It's yeah. not that, that yeah, thrilling, yeah. you know? And like I said, my job was really solitary. Yeah. You know, you, I think if the sketch people have a different thing, they might be running to the props department to get funny glasses for whatever Kira might be to use in a sketch or something. But like my experience was, it was, it was pretty office like 90% of the time. What what would be in a, in a perfect world for you now that you've kind of you, you've been you've been now working and writing for a while? What's your ideal scenario for you as you move forward and look at the future of, of what what you are as a writer and a creator? I mean, I think uh, if I could be, I I would say like probably um, I would love to try to do something more that isn't just variety shows, like a sitcom, basically something like that, that maybe has more narrative uh, feel to it. I think in this business, as you guys know, you get kind of a little pigeonholed. I think probably the next job I have will, I may end up just working in variety or, or, or current events. I'm a little bit burnt out on um, topical humor just because I did it I for so long. And it's, it's so much monologue jokes every day. Yeah. It's a little bit of a, a burnout factor. And, and I mean, some of the guys were there, some of the writers there were there for three, four years, but I think most people leave it eventually. Even Can if I it's... ask you a question, Raj? Yeah. With, with, with COVID and, and this quarantine, lockdown, stay-at-home orders, whatever you want to call it, with this, with this pandemic making so many changes digitally for people having to communicate, like right now, we're obviously all looking at each other, but we're communicating through a service, right? So do you think that writers may find themselves working from home in the future more remotely because like you're saying you were isolated in an office, but it doesn't sound like you had to always be there. Or do you think that that will not really affect that world? I mean, I think it, at our specific little job, the monologue writing, which was only like a quarter of the staff, I think it was pretty common, not common, but if somebody had to like not come in, they were usually allowed not to come in and just do it from their home in New York. They did ask me to move to New York for sure. But I think it's, I think there's a lot of, I think that could become more common, but I think there is, you know, all these shows, you know, at least Jimmy's show and Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel's show, they're all on the air right now. They must be doing it remotely. 
Yeah. But you see, no offense to them, but I mean, not that I'm watching a ton of them, but you see how limiting it is. I mean, to be honest, like to not have a studio with like, you know, you can't do a lot of stuff you're normally used to doing. Yeah. They're doing these monologues in their kitchen. It's like. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's interesting in a way, but it, I'm sure they're all eager to go back and like have access to, to things. So I, I think it would be pretty hard to not have writers on site for some of the, some of the jobs, but, but some of the stuff I did and have done in the past, I think you could easily do it from, from remote, remote. And I think you might possibly see that happening. And I and I do think for uh, Letterman, I know had some writers in L.A. actually when he was uh, hosting his show. I think because he, whoever there wanted to hire them, and they were just sending in jokes, and that, that that's that's pretty easy sending in jokes. But I think when you're talking about like putting a sketch together and what it's going to look like, and it's got to be made that day in like a few hours, I think you need people. A couple of things before we go, I just want to make sure we touch on it. For somebody like you, um, it was interesting. We kind of glossed over it, but the fact that you were married, were you worried that that was potentially could have an impact on that relationship? Uh, Living apart, uh, yeah, it was probably why I kind of kept it a little short. Uh, I mean, uh, that that my 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 time there. Um, I think that uh, you know it's a tough thing because uh, it's a good job. You know, if you get offered it, you want it, or so, uh, you know, my wife was, was really great about it, but um, I think she has a job she likes and a life here she likes, so to move her there would be tough. And, and, and I, like I said, I wasn't exactly, like, lighting it up. I mean, they, they could have easily let me go, you know, which is, it happens all the time at Tonight Show and SNL in particular. They, they and if you're not – and also if you're not really, like, having the best time – you know what I mean? If it's like, this is a job, I'm lucky to have it. I'm grateful for it. I yeah, understand it's a coveted yeah. position. But at the same time, if it affects how you feel mentally in a negative capacity, that job isn't worth it. You know what I mean? That job, I don't care what it is. It's not worth it. So if it's taking you away from shit that you like and that you people you enjoy being around and it's not that fun, that's a compound of like, yeah, I'm going to move back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I agree with all that. I also think like... um it's interesting in this business, like people, move, they take a big risk, you know, as we talked about myself to move out here, or at least for their own, their own life, it's a big risk. Mm-hmm. I understand people do riskier things and then they come here and then they maybe get a job editing for like reality TV and it's safe and easy and they end up doing that because it's to put yourself back out there and take a risk. And, you know, I, I will say I came here, came back from the show and then, you know, COVID happens and show business shut down and I'm, I'm like, what? probably should have just stayed there. I mean, there's part of me that definitely thinks that, but you don't know what else is out there, you know, and, and well, it could be something really interesting or engaging. I would say, I'd say sometimes people take a big, a big risk to come out here and then they kind of try to play it as safe as they can. And I understand the desire to do that. I, I certainly do. So, you know, but, I, I could have stayed there at least probably for another 13 weeks, which was a, the length of my next contract, but, you know, it just wasn't. You know. So you wait. So you were there from 2016 till now? No, no, I was no. only there for uh, six months. Maybe. Okay, That's okay. Yeah. And and do you think that? Uh, I mean, in, obviously, we're in a weird situation, COVID, all that. But um, once this is done, like the idea that you wrote on the Tonight Show, which is, you know, uh, not. 
doesn't matter what you think of the show itself, but the history of the show, it's the longest, it's a, it's a staple of American television. It's like, it's like an SNL in the sense that it's been there for before mm-hmm. I was born, it'll be there after I'm gone. You know, it just yeah. feels like it's something that's going to continue, but, but it's so coveted and it's so respected. Do you think that you are going to have an easier time now with that kind of on your resume? I would think, I mean, You'd hope so. Yeah, so I would hope so, and that's partly why I took the job. I mean, it's just a hard job to turn down because yeah. it's like, okay, like everyone's heard of it. It's a good credit. People know it. I mean, it, it, I can't imagine anybody – I'm sure people have turned it down, but I, I have a tough time believing they would at least go do a few votes there. I was going to say those people are, are, are also probably already uh, – you know, exactly, doing other big that, things. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? If you're turning yeah. it down – my because in my head, like – I like writing. I don't love it, but if I got that job, I would take it. Take you know it, what I right? Mean? I mean, um, so see. I think I think the thing I would say about even like my first credit for trying, like the thing that that first thing helps, or your first stand-up credit, or your first commercial, or your first acting, is like when people say, "What has he done?" And then you can point to something they've heard of. It really makes a big difference. Think, yeah. Well, this person must be legitimate, right? You know, as opposed to if you've been in a meeting or anything early on when you have. What have you done? Well, I just stand up around town. Or where do you perform? Uh, you know, I've had to yeah. say, kind of puff up my resume many times early on and pretend like, maybe not pretend like I was doing, but like be like, oh yeah, I've done a you know, ice house. And it's like, well, yeah. it's not really that hard to do the ice house, you know. I mean, once. I mean, I'm not like a regular. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I was that the the shorthand that those that that type of credit gives you is someone who like you know, is hireable is, is helpful. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, especially I, I don't if it know doesn't, what's going to happen. But. No, but especially if it doesn't come with like, uh, someone whispering behind you, oh, and he was fired because Fallon thinks he's a dick or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You didn't leave on bad terms. You weren't let no, go. you know, your, no. your, your time there was up and you left because person, you know, your life. But, but I feel like, I mean, I would like to think that after that job, you have a slightly easier time landing your next gig. I'm sure that's true. I, I do think it's, never like it's always like a little unsettling to think about it but as we all know people who've like <laughs> been on tv and then they can't work you know so never worked again yeah you never know what's gonna happen like people who've been cast members on snl who have had struggled after right Fam- you know famously struggled after so you never know what's gonna happen so but i think it'll Something will turn up, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, well, Raj, we, I, I mean, I've, I heard that you were the Gary Busey of writers, but that's fine. I mean, look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah. wish. That'd be pretty fun. And, and I just want to be honest with you. The reason probably why things are going to be good for you post-COVID is because, um, I don't think you know this or not, but being on Hollywood Anonymous is a pretty tight credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If anything, people are going to see this before the Fallon thing and be That's like, "That's right, yeah, you got to have this guy. guy. <laughs> this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. He chooses Dude, wisely." Um, really appreciate you coming on and and uh, and sharing with us uh, all this stuff. It was great, you know. Yeah, super I hope interesting. You and your wife, yeah, right? thanks for having me. I hope having a healthy lockdown. I did not. It. I did not finish the banana during the show. And apologize oh. to everybody. I told you it was huge, dude. <laughs> You're literally that's gonna make me sick all day. You what? had a banana so big you couldn't eat in an hour and a half. I can <laughs> I okay. I'm sure that people can get sick over worse things than someone saying I couldn't nope, finish that my- is the worst thing that's happened in Los Angeles. I don't know, two weeks? Okay, yeah, I'm sure it is. 
Jesus. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's all I got. Unless you guys got anything else. Roger, have anything you, you, uh, your, I mean, do you want to promote your social media? You want to send people to Twitter? You can do that, whatever you want, buddy. Uh, I would just, yeah, I would say like Twitter is a good place to find me. It's at underscore Raj Desai. Or if you just Google Raj Desai, I think it's the first Twitter. Very funny on Twitter. Worth the follow. Thank you. And my last question to both of you guys is, is how long did it take you guys to finally delete your MySpace account? After you had, uh, been, it took me years. I didn't realize I, I had kept it for years. And then I finally went back and it was, it was literally like an old Western town done digitally. It was really weird. Wow. That's such I a wish, good question. Or I do you still have, have it? You can on MySpace, apparently. <laughs> I wish I still had mine just as like an artifact online. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, it's like an archeological, like, MySpace, you're taking dust off it, like brushing it, like <laughs> MySpace, what? But I deleted mine in like, I think 2008, 9, 10, maybe. Yeah. I would guess something like that for me too. But I do wish I'd kept it or at least had screenshots of it. I didn't even bother to do that. I didn't that. even do that either. That's a really good point. Yeah, I I'm think it was a screenshot. I'm going to start another account. Son mm-hmm. of a bitch. That's why it's really important. It, it, a part of it exists somewhere. If you dig deep enough, I don't think people realize this. Nothing that on the internet, nothing, nothing fully gets erased. There are bits and pieces that are collected from everything, and you kind of you don't not every not not. I mean, you it'll be like it won't make sense, but parts still it'll it'll be fractured. Yeah, fractured. All right, well, John, take us out. Uh, Raj, thank you so much, man. Uh, follow Raj on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Don't follow Brian on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 